from Bookworms in the Wild and from Spotify. I'm Howard Altarescu, and this is my podcast, where I ask people I find interesting to tell me what they're reading. Before welcoming today's guest, here's what I've recently read and recommend. There's more detail on my website, www.bookwormsinthewild.com. My dad raised me to be a baseball, basketball, football, and boxing fan. And I grew up with a transistor radio under my pillow, listening to Mel Allen broadcasting Yankees games. So I loved reading the recently released biography of sportscasting legend Marty Glickman. It's a sweet, sweet, bittersweet biography. Romania, the Bronx and Brooklyn, the example set by Hank Greenberg and later by Sandy Koufax to respect their Jewish roots, track and football in high school and college, college quotas, the 1936 Olympics in Berlin, American Nazis, Jesse Owens, the Jews who were not allowed to compete, and a phenomenal sportscasting career for a gracious and generous gentleman. Really enjoyed it, hoping to get Jeff on the podcast soon. I'm currently reading and enjoying The Covenant of Water by Abraham Verghese, who also wrote Cutting for Stone, which I loved. And I'm reading The Haunting of Hill House by renowned horror and mystery writer Shirley Jackson. Horror is not my usual genre, but I'm greatly appreciating the writing and literally on the edge of my seat. This is not a cozy. Now for today's guest. Our Woodstock friend, Carol Graham, recently told me that her new book was just about to be published. She said something like, Howard, this is not like one of the big great fiction books you read. This is a cozy. I had no idea at the time what a cozy was, but I do now. More on cozies in a moment. Carol is a Texan, but has lived in Brooklyn and Woodstock for the last 21 years, and is now a real estate agent in both areas. Carol is also a member of the Woodstock Writers Group and a two-time winner of the Woodstock Book Fest Story Slam. Carol, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Howard. British crime novelist and detective fiction writer P.D. James has been credited with saying that all fiction is largely autobiographical. Your new book, Passion in Park Slope, features a Texas-born Brooklyn real estate agent who has not lost her draw. So how much of your debut murder mystery is autobiographical? Well, I've never found a dead body in one of my listings. <laughs> That's for sure. But, you know, I took the, I took the life I live in Brooklyn and, and put it on the pages to the best of my ability. None of the people are, are altogether real. and. None of them are altogether not real either. So um, I used it. So are you from West Texas? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, so um, your protagonist, Cara uh, Gerard. Yes. Do you, do you pronounce it Cara? I say Cara. Cara? Okay. Cara Gerard, your protagonist grew up in a basically fundamental congregation in a small West Texas town. Sound right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to ask your age. She's in her mid-50s. She's a straight shooter, which you are. Married three times. Guilty? Guilty. Guilty as charged. Uh, you don't have to comment on your parents. She had a redneck father and a Yankee mother. Uh, she was stubborn, hard worker, an alcoholic, not a shark, 
shrewd, good listener, good eye, persistent wearer of hats. One of the things I can say about this, uh, your, your mystery, you, you drew the characters in such a way that they were so vivid, uh, particularly Kara. This picture, you know, I, I went through the book and picked out these attributes, and it, I, I have a picture of her in my head. Well, that's so delightful to hear. Well, it was delightful to read and, and to get to know Kara. So your website includes a synopsis of the book, uh, The Passion in Park Slope. And it says the following. It started out with realtor Kara Gerard showing $2 million properties in one of Brooklyn's favorite neighborhoods, a typical afternoon in New York City real estate. Then Kara and all of Park Slope are stunned when she discovers the body of the borough's top broker in the kitchen of a beautiful brownstone apartment. So what more can you tell us about the story without giving anything away? Well, I do think that a lot of truth is told about the characters, the um, real estate agents. You know, not everybody likes us <laughs> and uh, we don't like each other all the time. Well, that, that's clear in the book. It's yeah. true. And I think it's true in life. Yeah. But uh, it's just like any profession, really. There are, you know, good guys and bad guys. And there's some people that just do their job and forge ahead. People who rise to the top have definitely made a mark in some way. They project something. And I think the most people think that that they are sharks. And it's really not altogether true. I think the book shows that. The number one broker in Park Slope who, you know, is discovered in that kitchen uh, has good and bad attached to her. And I tried to stick with that. So it's interesting. Um, I, I was going to ask whether we give that away. It happens right at the outset, so it's not giving anything away. But there are, and we'll, we'll come to the attributes of a cozy in, in a moment, but the victim is usually a character. So this is from my research, and I'd love your commentary. The victim in a cozy murder mystery is usually a character who had terrible vices or who treated others very badly. And that certainly is the case in your book, or, or appears to be. It appears to be. And um, I think that is true of cozies in general. A cozy, if I might just go into Coziness. Yeah, hop, hop, <laughs> go into coziness. Cozies are mysteries, uh, murder mysteries for the most part, where they uh, there's no blood and guts. There's no uh, raw sex. It's just, if there is, it's off screen, so to speak. It's so off you, the page. You, you had a little more than, than, than I've been led to believe would appear in a cozy. Well, that's true. And I'm wondering if my granddaughter can read this book, but um, <laughs> maybe a little more. But for the most part, you don't get into the into the details of those things in a cozy. On the violence, um, that was all off screen. It was. And that's typical of cozies. They, the thing about um, the victim, as we were talking about yep. a minute ago, the thing about the victim um, is we don't want to become too attached to her or him. And in a cozy, I think it's easier to let somebody go if you don't love them. At the same time, none of us are all good or all bad. So it was interesting to me for my victim to unfold on the pages as the book went along. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> your victim. I love that. Uh, so on cozies. Um, so your website also includes um, a cozy mystery description by Agatha award-winning author, Amanda Flower. She says an amateur sleuth, got that here, an unsuspecting victim, certainly a quirky supporting cast. I want to come back to your wonderful cast. And trail of clues and red herrings are the main ingredients of a cozy mystery. In a cozy, there is a happily ever after and justice is served. It's so interesting. So the shark, is it Hannah? 
Yes. Yeah. One one of the things I've read about is that the victim. Some some people think the victim deserved to die. <laughs> that's that's, uh, that's stunning. And and you did, one of the brokers said something like that. Yes. Well, you don't get to be the top broker in New York City in any neighborhood. I wouldn't think without having a few enemies along the way. I can't wait for this to circulate in the real estate industry, but go ahead. I think they're all aware of it. No no secrets. And there are no secrets about that. You know, we all have to, it's a very competitive business. So so you're Kara, the real estate agent. (laughs) So um, one of the characteristics I've read about for Cozy is the amateur sleuth, uh, the protagonist, which is Kara. Usually a likable, intuitive, bright, college-educated woman usually has some kind of career that allows her to be privy to gossip or information that others might not have. So certainly the real estate industry, perfect for that. Perfect. But she certainly is likable, intuitive, bright, college-educated woman. Well, you know, I have a lot of friends in the industry in Brooklyn and Manhattan, and I I like a lot of real estate agents. So I took pieces of all of them, really, and made Kara. She does have a Texas twang, but other than that, she's a composite. (laughs) And the other characters. So the descriptions of Cozy's that I've read, I said, these are characters who you can envision having as neighbors or friends, likable, funny, eccentric, and entertaining. Entertaining. Certainly the case. What a cast of characters. I I counted, I think, 25 characters. Really? I think so, yeah. I I could read them, but yeah. So it's quite a crew. Well, It reminded me a little bit of the Dick Van Dyke show. Oh, that's interesting, Howard. Well, quirky characters. Well, you know, the thing about about the cozy world sort of too, is that I've read a lot of cozies and I sort of didn't mean to get so involved with cozies when I started reading them. But if I might say, my sister has been reading cozies for years and years and I gave her rather a hard time about it, to tell you the truth. I read, you know, I read fiction and literature. Right. Which is what sort of you were saying to me. Yes. And, um, but she read these and I, you know, I love my sister. And one day she recommended something and I read it just to please her. And, uh, and I enjoyed it so much. So I started writing them really for my sister, Linda. But I also realized that the reason I liked it so much or more than I thought anyway, was that it was not stressful to me. I think uh, I didn't, I've always, I've not always been like this, but I'm certainly now willing to let go of any stress that I can um, in the last, say, eight years or 10 years or so. And there are good cozies and there's some cozies that I didn't enjoy reading out of the many, many, I would say hundreds that I have read. So I want to come back to the cozies you're reading, but I just want to react to what you said about stressful. Do not read The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. Well, too late. But oh, you read it. A long time ago, but I, I just, wouldn't read it now. And the stress is, <laughs> right, exactly. I've read many, many cozies yes, yes, yes. sort of getting ready for the project of writing one. And I really enjoyed some, and some I couldn't get through at all. And so who have you enjoyed the most? Or is there any particular author or Oh, authors? there's quite a few, actually. But, you know, the first ones that I read were Rita Mae Brown wrote cozies. And they were just wonderful and funny and smart. And Kinky Friedman oh, really? has a whole career of writing them. I wish he would write some more, but I think from, he's from retired. Te- from Texas as well. Yes. Still alive? As far as I know, he is. Yeah. Um, he was in a band called Kinky Friedman and the Texas Jew Boys yes, yes. back in Austin when I was in college right, there. there so I recognized his name. I started reading his books for that. And Laura Childs is another one who's very prolific and and writes really wonderfully. A a lot of people, though. But some of them I just didn't enjoy. And I realized what it was about them 
that I did like when I did like them were the people in them, the relationships that were happening there. Did I want to hang out with these people for a few days or not? And that's what I shot for in this book. All of my reading throughout my life has been, I think, more, more relationship kind of literature than any Larry McMurtry and Ellen Gilchrist. Those were authors that I just started reading and couldn't let go of early on. Lonesome Dove. Yes, but long before that yes. too. Yeah. So re- relationships. Are, are and the so that's focus. what I was shooting for with this book. It's just, even though it's a cozy and it's not going to be too challenging, um, did I want to hang out with these people? And I liked uh-huh. them. And that's so nice. I went with it. And you got to hang out with them. While, while I you did. Writing. How long did it take you to write it? Well, truth be told, I started it before COVID and then COVID sort of upended everything in my world for three years, but I got back to it and it took about six or eight months after that. I'd started it. So I knew where I was going. One of the great things about writing, you can start and come back to it at any point in time. Unbelievable. It's really good. This is really good. So I I dug around, as I mentioned, to see what I can learn about cozy mysteries. And I came across an article in in the Atlantic magazine called The Dark Reality Behind Cozy Mysteries. In referring to a particular uh, cozy mystery, uh, the author of the article says that she was lulled by the uncomplicated prose, charmed by the protagonist's life as both bakery owner and amateur sleuth, and drawn to the paradoxical concept of a feel-good murder. (laughs) Well, I love that. Yeah, that's very good. I'll send you a link to the article, and it'll be on my website. So the feel-good murder, we're not going to get into details about who was murdered in your book. You really do have to wait to the very end to find out. But from the research I've done, the murderer is generally a member of the community where the murder occurs and able to hide in plain sight. The motives for the murder are usually greed, jealousy, and or revenge. And the murderer is typically neither a psychopath nor a serial killer. So let's not comment on those, but that's the general description of what a murderer is in a cozy I want to come back to authors. Have you read Agatha? I have not read Agatha Christie at all. Oh, yes. She's she's the, she's the dean. Lovely. Is she yeah, the, she's dean? the dean? Yeah. Miss Marple. Right. So so I, I've read about her. Um, I gather she, she, just as you said, she featured characters. Uh, she focused on characters and she featured characters discovering a body or learning of a death and finding mysterious clues at a crime scene. And she focused on the mystery more so than the violence, which sounds right. And I think that's consistent with what you've done. And really on the people, you know, um, the characters, they were so fun to read about. You stuck with it to the end. I found myself not really, it's not that I was dying to know who killed who. It was just that I wanted to hang out with those people. (laughs) Right. Then another aspect of uh, cozies, every cozy mystery is solved. You don't walk away unfulfilled. Absolutely. Yeah. Unlike life. Unlike life. That's exactly (laughs) right. The address of the brownstone where the murder takes place is a real address. Uh, I Googled it. It appears to be a real address. And I'm just wondering whether anybody's complained. Oh, gosh, I hadn't even thought of it. Interesting. Um, Howard, I made up that number because it was in the the right space in Brooklyn, you know, in the right block and such. As the book becomes more uh, more popular, brace yourself. Oh, gosh, I meant no offense. (laughs) Uh, so you've got, you, you referred to um, Passion in Park Slope as the debut of your murder mystery series. Yes. And on the website, you refer to Terror in Windsor Terrace. 
When's that coming out? What, what, and what are the prospects for the series? Well, I have plans. I would guess that um, Terror and Windsor Terrace will probably come out in um, early spring. It's not quite finished yet. I do know who done it, <laughs> but it's not down on paper yet. And I have plans for all the neighborhoods in Brooklyn, you know, if I should live so long. I was, I was bracing myself to see if you'd have, you had plans for uh, Woodstock. Oh, you never know. <laughs> well, we'll have to figure out who done it when the time comes. So, um, so you're hard at work on your mystery series. I am. And you read a lot of cozies. I did. And um, you're reading anything else of great note? Well, part of my process that I found, and I didn't really know this would happen, but when I'm writing, I can't read very well. Can't read other books very well. But I did start on something recently, and it's hard for me to put it down. It's just so beautifully written. Um, Fresh Water for Flowers is something that was a, uh, was recommended to me, and then I got hold of a copy in a really quirky way, sort of. And it's it's a lovely book, Valerie Perrin. I don't know her. I didn't know this book at all, but it was it's it's quite nice. Good reading that. And, and so, what was the quirky way that you came to find the book? Oh, Howard. Um, I have a dear friend uh, in Santa Fe and we have common interests in books. And she told me about this book that was recommended to her and she got the copy and she loved it so much. And she called me to tell me about it. I said, great, but I'm writing, so I probably won't get it. And the next day I was in Kingston, New York. And just like the protagonist, Cara Gerard, I often park in bad places (laughs) And I was in Kingston and I came out to my car to go to an appointment and my car had been booted. Oh, in Kingston? In Kingston. That means that you've had three tickets that you have not taken (laughs) care of. I'm here to tell you, don't do it because they will boot your car. And You are uh, even more interesting than I thought, but go ahead. (laughs) But um, so I like Cara Gerard. I don't take offense to that or get all worked up about it anymore. And I just thought, okay, I'm contributing to the economy of Kingston. You bet. I'm not going to get stressed about this. So I went online and I took care of the problem and the city will come in Kingston, unlike New York City, they will come within an hour and unboot you. So I had, you know, 30, 40 minutes to kill. <laughs> and so I look around in Kingston to see where I'm, where I am. And I'm parked across the street from the used bookstore. And I walk across the street and there on the street, on the shelf, right. outside right. the store, on the dollar rack is fresh water for flowers That's that amazing. my friend had recommended the day before. So I looked in my purse. I had not a dollar to my name. All I have is a credit card. And I walked in and said, you know, will you take credit cards? And she said, not for a dollar. <laughs> and I said, okay. So I shook out all the change in my <laughs> In my, the bottom of my purse, and I came up with like 97 cents, and she took it. And I bought this book, and I'm so delighted that I have it. And that's Half Moon Books. Yes, it is. Oh, I love that store. It's a great one. It is a great one. Well, this has been terrific. I, I, loved, I loved reading the book. I loved oh. talking to you about it. So thank you. Thank you so much, Howard. More information about our guest today can be found on our website, www.bookwormsinthewild.com which also includes links to the books and other resources we referred to in our discussion. Thanks especially to my podcast team. Dave created the podcast with me and is my producer. Ron is responsible for art direction and design for the podcast, our website, and my bookmark. Melanie, who has designed additional swag, provides overall creative direction. Ben and Eden and Catherine provide additional inspiration and support 
And, of course, Carol is my muse. Four-year-old Jakey remains a delight beyond words and continues to encourage the podcast, as does Jake's sweet, energetic, wisecracking, and equally delightful two-year-old cousin, Francesca, who always likes to tell me what she's reading. Sweet baby Mila joined the podcast production intern class three months ago, and the three grand loves are expecting additional help before year end. Thanks to the great Spotify team for making it free and easy to create the podcast. Thanks as well to AJ Falari, who's working on the editing with me. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe. And in any event, let me have your comments, either directly on the podcast or at bookwormsinthewild at gmail.com. Looking forward to seeing you on the podcast next time.